Okay, so everybody knows what's coming this week, right? Thanksgiving. Now, is it, uh, probably it's probably a question more for the parents, is it a little bit early to be talking about Christmas? If I was, if I was to start talking about Christmas, how many people would say, not yet, I'm not ready for it yet? You have the, yeah, me too. I, you know what, I, I really agree with that fact. I think we need to go one day at a time. I'm going to go Thanksgiving first before Christmas. That's the way I, I was raised. That's the way I believe. But I know there, there's people who already put up Christmas lights. And there's the Black Friday ads. And there's commercials. And there's people who have just totally skipped over Thanksgiving because they want to get to Christmas. And as much as I uh, agree with we've got to do one day at a time, I'm going to break my own thoughts for, for just a few minutes. I'm going to go against my standard that says you got to do Thanksgiving before Christmas for just a few minutes. Uh, kids out there, how many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Okay, how many, how many of you have made like a Christmas list? It's like a mile long that you want mom and dad to know, yeah? Okay, good. Okay, parents, you see that? Okay, so how many parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts are uh, going to be buying these little rascals Christmas presents? You're not a parent. Okay, we got a few of them. Now, how many of you said, I'm going to base what I'm going to buy them based off of how good my kids were? Like, how many chores they did this week or this year, this is the kind of Christmas present I'm going to get them? Or how many of you said, I'll give Caleb a Christmas present, but he's going to earn it. I'm going to take it out of his hide, or I'm going to take it out of his wallet, but he's going to pay me back. How many of you did that? We, <laughs> TC? Okay, well, TC might do that, but in general, you give a gift because you want to, right? Because you love the person, so you say, okay, Caleb, here's a free gift. I'm not going to make you earn it. I'm not going to take it back. I'm going to give it to you because I love you. Salvation works the same way. We get a free gift of salvation because Jesus loved us, because God loved us. It's not based off of anything that we have done or anything that we're going to do that we get this free gift offer of salvation. Really, there's nothing we could do that's going to help us get salvation. Uh, the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It was a choice that God made because he wanted to give us salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It was something he freely wanted to give us. Now, salvation is a free gift. We probably already know that. If you look at the bulletin title for the message, it says, The Cost of Following Jesus. And that question mark is supposed to be there. Because when you say salvation is a free gift, and then you say the cost of following Jesus, how do you reconcile that? I thought it was free. Well, it is, it's, I'm sure you can all reconcile in your mind that pretty easily. The gift is free to us. Jesus paid the price so that we could have salvation. There's nothing we could do to earn that salvation, but there is a price to pay. The world, for once, says, you know what? We don't like God. We don't like Jesus. We don't like this message of salvation that you're trying to share it with us, and we want to stop that. A couple weeks ago was the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. All over the world, you find examples of people who are trying to silence other people who are trying to follow Jesus because they don't like it. So there is a price that the world is going to make you pay. But there's also a price that you might have to make yourself pay. And that we're going to look at today in a little bit about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a few minutes. 
But before we do, I want to pray again and ask God uh, for his blessing on this time. Dear God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you again for everybody who's here, especially those people who sacrifice something else in order to put you uh, to come and hear your word. And I pray that you just bless them for that. God, this is your time, and I just pray that your words come out of my mouth. I pray that you just tune us all into what your Holy Spirit wants to say, and we'd hear from you exactly what we need to hear and how we need to hear it. And I just pray for your blessing on this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 26, at the cost of following Jesus. And Jesus, when he starts out talking to his disciples, first he wants to make sure that his disciples know, or he wants to make sure of what they know, of who they think he is, because if he can't, he's got to start with the basis that they believe that he's the Christ. And then he's going to say, this is my cost, or the cost to me, to give you salvation, and this is what it's going to cost you if you're truly going to be my disciple. So first of all, he starts talking to his disciples about who do the people say that I am. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. It says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets has come uh, of long ago has come back to life. So they pick out three main people. I'm sure there were other options that they could have come up with, but the majority of people are saying, I think Jesus might be John the Baptist. Now, if you're familiar with John the Baptist, uh, he was a guy who was the forerunner for Jesus. He was the one who was in the desert trying to prepare the way for Jesus to come. He's preaching this message of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, he's not trying to say that, hey, if you believe, I mean, that if you're baptized, you're going to be saved. He's saying that, those who believe are going to be baptized. They're going to publicly declare to the whole world that is watching that I am a follower of Jesus, that I'm getting dunked underwater, that I'm dying to myself, that I'm coming back out, and that I'm going to live for Jesus. And, so it's, and it's, that's why we, we at this church believe that it's something that you do after you, you're saved, after you put your faith in Jesus, that it's something you publicly decide for yourself that you're going to follow Jesus and you get baptized as a public display. Well, John the Baptist, he did this for a little while, and then he started stepping on some toes because he talked to King Herod and said it wasn't right for him to have his brother Philip's wife. Uh, as it turned out, Herod, uh, brother Philip took, or Herod took his brother Philip's wife, and apparently she went with it because they got married, and John the Baptist ended up in prison. And through a series of unfortunate events, uh, he lost his head. He lost his life because he was following Jesus. John the Baptist did. And they're saying, well, possibly this guy came back to life. The head got joined back with the body, and now he's preaching this message that Jesus is preaching. Others said, well, maybe he's Elijah. You know, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know something about Elijah. You know that this guy, well, one of the things that he did, he prayed, that, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He wasn't very popular with the people, but he prayed it didn't rain for three and a half years. Another thing he did, right before it rained, he got up on Mount Carmel, uh, and he had a little battle with the, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. That was 850 people versus Elijah. 850 versus 1. And all these, false, or these, these prophets to the false god, they, they cut themselves and they cried out to their god to make it rain. Or, or to, to burn their sacrifice, I'm sorry. To burn their sacrifice. Nothing happened. Finally, Elijah prays to God and says, I want you to show these people that you are their one true God and I am the prophet that, that you have called to speak with these people. And next thing you know, everything got torched. The, the, the sacrifice, 
the wood, the water, the rocks, the, even the soil where the, the altar was got burned up with fire. Another thing you might remember about Elijah is that he, was ta- he never died. He was a guy who was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. So there are these people who are thinking, well, maybe this is Elijah that's come back. He never died, right? So maybe this is who came back. Others were saying, well, maybe he's one of the prophets, one of the people from the Old Testament. There was lots of these people who spoke the message of God, and maybe they came back to speak the message to us. All these choices are wrong. It was none of those people. In today's world, uh, if Jesus was to ask, who do people say that I am? Uh, he might hear words like, uh, like the Islam people, that he was a prophet. He was the greatest of prophets. The Hindu might, would say that he was a holy man. He was a teacher. He was a god. Others are going to say that, uh, that he was a moral teacher, that he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a miracle worker. So others are going to say that he's a fraud, that he's a phony, that he's a figment of your imagination. Even that he was created, that he was the son of God, that he was created. He was the firstborn, and then he was created, and he made the whole world. And that would combine scripture with their view of who God is. But that's not right either, because Jesus is God. Uh, and then, he, so Jesus starts asking his disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And they, verse 20 says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And I imagine that all the disciples, were, were, they're all thinking the same thing. Peter's just kind of the spokesman who says, you are the Christ. In Matthew 16, 16, it says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's the truth. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God in the flesh who came down to this earth to be born as a baby on Christmas Day, whatever real day that is, the day that he was born, Uh, to live a perfect life so he could be a perfect sacrifice so that we could have eternal life. Now let's just say that in this crowd of people, uh, I was to randomly pick one person from the audience and freak you out. And I was to bring you up here and I was to give you the microphone and you were to say, and I was to ask you, who do you say that Jesus is? What would you say? Would you say that Jesus was a good teacher? That he was a moral teacher? That Jesus did miraculous things? Is that what you'd say? Or would you have the guts to say that he's a fraud, he's a phony, he's just a figment of my imagination? Or could you say that Jesus is the Christ? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross to give me salvation. What would you say if you came up here? What would you tell everybody who Jesus is? And it's really an important question. If you thought about that the whole rest of the service, who is Jesus? And you didn't listen to anything else I said, and you came to the right the realization that Jesus is the Christ, you have my permission to stop paying attention. Because it's that important that you need to know who Jesus is. Your, your eternity rests on that. If you say that Jesus was a good man, that's nice. There's lots of good people. When they die, that does absolutely nothing for me unless they happen to leave me an inheritance, right? Jesus died so long ago that it has nothing to do with me. If you say he was a good religious teacher, you might say our society or their society was good, better for a time because Jesus taught that you're supposed to love your neighbor and love your enemy and you're supposed to help the poor. And so that would have helped society out a little bit. But what does that do for your salvation? What are you relying on? If you say Jesus is anything but the Son of God, 
I don't know what you're going to do for heaven because you're not going to get there. You're not going to have salvation unless you can say Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the one that I'm trusting for my salvation. We deal with that. And then the next thing he says in verse 21, he says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, that he was the Christ. And to me, that makes kind of, it makes, it's kind of hard to understand. Why would Jesus tell the disciples, don't tell anybody this? Because in the past, we just saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus went and told the, had his disciples to go around the countryside to do miracles and to tell people about Jesus. Jesus himself has gone out and has preached the gospel to people. But now he's saying, no, no more. I don't want people to know that right now. Because if that happens, we find out, uh, we'll find out in a couple weeks, Jesus set out resolutely. He resolved, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I believe if he starts collecting people and they start try, trying to join Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem, it's going to create an, up, an uh, uprising like it did when he really did it. And it's going to push the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the people who don't like Jesus to take care of Jesus sooner. Jesus was prophesied to die but not right now. He still has lots of ministry left that he wants to accomplish. And if he starts collecting all these people, it's going to happen too soon. And so I think that's why Jesus is not saying, hey, let's tell people, let's get them all collected and going with us because it's going to push events to come sooner than they were supposed to. But part of the thing here, though, is Jesus says, okay, first of all, I am the Christ. You guys got this right. And I'm glad that you understand this because I'm going to Jerusalem to do something about this. This is what the Christ is supposed to do. He's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to suffer. And that's what we see next, is that Jesus is going to suffer. Verse 22, And he said to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day he will raise to life. Jesus went to suffer many things. Now we look at this, and we say, we know what he suffered, right? Because we, we can look in the, the end of the Gospels and you can read the specific things that he went through. The disciples have no real understanding of what this means. Jesus is going to suffer. Jesus is going to die. Because even when Jesus died, it's like they still weren't getting it until after he died and he rose again. Then they're like, oh, I understand that this is what had to happen. But we have, we have the ability to look and see that Jesus did have to suffer. And it says he had to suffer Many things. Many things are, we're going to start with, are many things that did not kill Jesus. He had to suffer in immense, immense ways. One is he had to, to suffer the betrayal of Judas. Judas Iscariot was the one who finally betrayed Jesus to the, to the people who wanted to end Jesus' life that they couldn't take care of until they got a little help from the inside. And he did it for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying with his disciples, and Judas says, hey, this is where Jesus always goes, and apparently other people didn't know that, that Jesus would be alone with his disciples. So Judas grabbed these guys and said, hey, let's go. This is where we can take care of Jesus. And it's dark, and so you can't see very well in the dark. They didn't have, even if you had a, a torch, it's not going to give off a whole lot of light. And so Jesus would walk up and he would kiss, uh, or Judas would walk up and kiss Jesus on the cheek and betray him that intimately. And Jesus had to experience this betrayal. Jesus had uh, mental anguish that he had to go through. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he got betrayed, he was in agony. 
he, he said his sweat was like drops of blood, and there's actually a medical term where this can actually happen, where the sweat glands rupture and causing the oozing of blood to occur throughout the skin. And Jesus had to endure that. And it, it says he was in agony. You know what? I, I'm going to be doing this. He loves us. He wants to do this, but it's not something he's excited and he's looking forward to doing. And so he's, he's just in turmoil and agony. He knows what's coming. And it's a, it's a very hard thing for him to have to face. And I can't imagine facing that. But he also had to experience physical harm. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was beat. He had a crown of thorn placed upon his head. He was mocked. That's not fun to endure. He had beard, his, parts of his beard ripped out by people. He was punched. And he was slapped. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, and It was prophesied that his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man or any human being, uh, and that his form was marred beyond human likeness. You could hardly recognize that this was Jesus after all that he suffered before he even got to the cross. Jesus had to suffer many, many things. It says also he had to suffer rejection. He suffered it the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the people who should be able to look at Scripture and say, Jesus is really the Messiah. The religious leaders of those days were the instigators, the people who took the final steps in order to end Jesus' life. They hated him, his whole ministry, and he had to face rejection by them over and over and over, even up to the point of his death. He had to face rejection by the people he came to save. The week before Jesus died on the cross, Palm Sunday, there was great crowds of people who were taking off their cloaks for a donkey to walk on, and they're cutting branches and putting them on the ground, and they were all excited for Jesus to go into Jerusalem. Many of those people, in one mouth, at one side of their mouth, were saying, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is King, and the next one, they're turning around saying, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus had to face the rejection. That just me wants to break my heart and say, Fine, you guys face whatever you want. I don't want any part of this. This isn't worth it. So he had to face rejection by the elders and the teachers of the law, by the people he came to save. He even had to face rejection by his own disciples. When Jesus was arrested, guess what the disciples did? They scattered. They went every direction away from Jesus. You had uh, Peter who was following closely behind. You had John who was... uh, closer with where Jesus was, but that means nine of them are just gone. Judas is already counts as the twelfth one, but he's going off to hang himself, but everybody else is fleeing. But Peter was the one who Jesus prophesied to him, you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter did it. Even he was, he, he was so overwhelmed by what was going on that he denied it to a servant girl, to a girl who has no rights, no authorities, no nothing, he can't even be strong enough to tell her, you know what, you're wrong, Jesus is the Christ. He's saying, nope, I don't know Jesus. He, he, he called down curses, and he was mad at himself, saying, trying to convince everybody, no, I don't believe in this Jesus. This is not the Messiah. This is not who I thought he was. The rooster crows. As just at that time, Jesus is walking by, and he looks at Peter, and Peter says, oh, no. And Peter looks at Jesus Jesus knows this is all going on. He has to face this rejection. Like, what is it going to take for you guys to finally understand I am who I said I am? And then, the ultimate rejection that he had to face was from God. 
Jesus was on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, our sin separates us from God. God can't look at us when we're in our sin. The only prayer I think he hears from the unsaved is that, God, I'm a sinner, and I need you as my Savior. And the way that, the way that God doesn't look on us with our sin is he turned his back on Jesus because Jesus was carrying our sins. Jesus was on that cross paying for sins that he didn't deserve because Jesus never did anything wrong. We are the ones that are guilty of the sin that put him up on that cross. So we had to face uh, many things, suffer many things. He had to face rejection, and he had to face death. Now, if, life, if Jesus was just like me, who's fairly healthy, you know, and I, I, don't, I haven't endured any kind of torment or pain, if, if Jesus was just like me and he had to die, that's, that's hard enough, right? Just the fact that you're going to die is bad. But then you add to that that you're going to die for other people for other people who are going to reject you, and other people who aren't going to want to know you, other people who are going to be per persecuting the world. Jesus, you're going to die for that. Makes it even worse. You add on top of that that he's going to die on a cross. The Romans' way of the most uh, torturous, the most embarrassing way that you could possibly kill somebody was to put him on a cross. And you'd start at one end of a street, and you'd have to carry your own, part of your own cross all the way to, to the... To the to Calvary, and Jesus tried to do that. After he was beat beyond recognition, he's trying to carry this, and he keeps falling down, and finally a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene had to pick it up and carry it the rest of the way because Jesus could not do it. He just got beat, and he got drained of blood and of strength so, quick, so much over the last several hours that he could not do this, and finally he gets to the cross, and then he gets placed up there. You're, you're up there. Everybody can see you. You can't do anything about that. People can spit at you and yell at you and, and curse you. You can't do anything. Your, your nakedness is all exposed for everybody to see, and Jesus is up there, and he's up there on the cross. And he did that for us. But death did not win. Jesus didn't stay up on that cross. Jesus went into the ground, but he didn't stay there. Jesus came out of the grave in order to conquer death so that we can have eternal life. Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and Jesus paid the price so that we can have eternal life. And we can say, thank you, Jesus, that we have salvation. Thank you that you did so much for us, because obviously we can't do it on our own. And who would want to? Who would want to pay for your, price, your own price tag to get to heaven? I don't want to, especially if Jesus is willing to do it for me. But Jesus isn't the only one who suffers because he got on that cross. He's not the only one paying a price for our salvation. I know I've, I've said this before where, uh, and I've got up and made the confession that a lot of people, and, and pretty much every time you hear the gospel, I imagine it's the same way. Uh, and I know in my growing up years, I went to Bible camp, you heard the gospel day and night, all, all week long. You heard it all, constantly at church, at youth group, all the time of our need for a Savior. And it's true. You got this bad news that, yes, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And that's hard to hear. But Jesus paid the price so that we could have eternal life, and that's great. But what about after that? I think most of us have been Christians long enough to know that that doesn't mean that life is easy all of a sudden. It means actually the opposite. Life is going to get harder. Temptations might become more real. People are going to start persecuting you if you are going to live for the Lord. But we don't make that very obvious or very clear to people. I don't know if it's because we're afraid of scaring people away from Jesus because we know that salvation is what they need, 
or if we think people already understand. But let me remind you, as I have to remind myself, is if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer the consequences. There is a price that you're going to pay. Like it or not, that's just the way it is. Uh, There's a price you're going to pay. There's the cost of following Jesus. Verse 23 says, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To deny is to exclude, to reject, uh, to decline, to refuse. And I think, you know, that's, it's a, it's, a scholar once put it this way. When uh, Peter denied Jesus, he said, uh, this, this is how you look at denying. He said, Peter once denied his Lord. That is to say of Jesus, I don't know the man. To deny ourselves is to say, I do not know myself. It is to ignore the very existence of oneself as if I did not exist. Ouch! I'm supposed to look at myself as if I'm not living this life for me? Wait a second, whoever heard that as part of the gospel? Yes, the gospel is you need a savior and you need Jesus because you're a sinner, but there's like this, this oh yeah part that doesn't get shared very often. I don't do it myself, but it's like we're not just getting saved so we can have eternal life. There is a price that is going to be part of that. We understand denying, right? We understand that uh, I'm going to deny myself a piece of cake, right? I'm on a diet. I don't want to eat it. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to say no to it. If you're in a football, the, the goal line stand at the end of the game, you got four downs, and we're going to keep the team from getting us the winning goal. We're going to deny them from getting across that goal line. Or if somebody comes in, wants to come into your house, an intruder, are you going to let them in? No. You're going to deny them, right? You're going to stop them. You're going to do whatever it takes to stop that intruder from coming in. The same kind of thing works for this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to, I mean, if you're going to be his disciple, you have to deny yourself what, what is not right that, um, that God says is not right. It might be desires. It might be the sinful ones. Just because I got saved doesn't mean my sin nature just left, right? I still might like saying those words. I still like my participating in those activities. I have to deny myself. How many people like denying yourself? No, it hurts, right? I don't, want, I don't want to deny myself. I am a man. I want what I like, right? Whatever it is. If it's the extra piece of cake, I don't care if I'm full. I want to eat it, right? I don't want to deny myself. But you're, so some things are sinful. You're just going to have to deny and say, I'm no longer going to do these things. But a lot of times we treat denial like it's the last piece of cake. It really doesn't matter if I deny this or if I don't. But Jesus clearly says you're called to deny yourself, the sinful desires, but also the unsinful desires. Because there's lots of things that we participate in on a regular basis that are not sin, right? Watching football is not sin. Going to, uh, getting a promotion at work is not sin. But the thing is, when these things start conflicting with what God wants you to do, that's where we have to deny ourselves. You know, it might be an activity that keeps you from church. I really want to go be a part of X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to deny myself. And when I, whenever I get up here and I say denying, uh, like coming to church, you know, I don't want to be legalistic and say you have to be in church every single Sunday because God didn't say you had to be in church every single Sunday. But it's important that we don't let other things regularly become more important. And it's not because of me, because I can preach to an empty room. I do it every week. Right? I practice 
a couple of times, uh, Friday, Saturday, so hopefully it comes out better on Sunday, so I can preach in the empty room. But it's because God has wants the family of believers to get together to fellowship. There's, there's a unity, a community that we only have inside this church and a fellowship that we can have that you don't have elsewhere. So it's important, not just because that's how I get paid or it gives me something to do, but because that's something that God has asked us to do. But it might be something that keeps me from reading God's Word and spending time with Him. You know, it might be a good book. It might be a good TV show or a good movie, other hobbies and friends. These things that become more important to us than God that keep us from spending time with God, we might have to deny ourselves sometimes and say, boy, I'd sure like to watch the rest of that game, but I, I know as soon as it's done, I'm going to bed. So I'm going to turn off the TV, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray. Easy to do? Uh-uh, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not going to hang out with my friends this Friday night because I need to make sure I have, I've had a busy day at school. I've had the football game or the basketball game. This is my only chance to spend with the Lord. I'm going to do it. You know, God, the, the best thing about God is also the worst thing about God, is that he is everywhere. You can spend God, God is always there waiting to talk to you. He's always there ready to have fellowship with you. But the fact that he's always there makes it easy to go like this. He's on the back burner. He's always, he'll be there tomorrow, right? He'll be there the next day. The next day, he's always going to be there. And so it's easy to keep pushing him off. The football game is only going to be there, right, uh, tomorrow night during, from 6 to 9. That's the only time it's on. God will be there before and he'll be there after. But he might say, you need to deny yourself. And that's not an easy thing to do. We need to, it's, the next thing he says, take up your cross. And that doesn't mean just going through difficult times in life. This is difficult times that come because you're trying to be a disciple of Jesus. It's in direct relationship. The more I'm trying to follow Jesus, the more my cross is going to be. The, the harder it is to bear, the more I follow Jesus. It's just in direct relationship. And the disciples... They, some of them actually had to take up a cross and follow Jesus. If you look at the, the history of the disciples, according to history, uh, there were several of them who were crucified. Peter was even crucified upside down because he says, I'm not worthy to die the same way that my Lord has, has died. The disciples were put in prison. They had to face anger and rejection, I'm sure, by the families. Because Peter, there was four disciples that were fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They all, I'm sure, had a dad who had this uh, family business of being a fisherman, guess what they want to do? They want to retire, and they want to say, here, Noah, here, Caleb, I want you to take this over. Because, and then if they say, no, sorry, Dad, we're going to start following Jesus. Well, where's the security in that? Where's the stability? Uh, I just trained you your whole life to do this, and now you're walking away from me? So they're, they're taking up their cross is not easy. It might even mean a family rejection like the disciples had to have. But Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. If I'm denying myself, I am not living. I'm trying to let Jesus live through me, and that's very hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell it to you like I got it down, but I don't. I struggle with denying what I want. I mean, to, to, to deny myself to do what God wants. Because I don't like to do it, but it's something that we all need to work on, and we're never going to finally succeed until we finally get to heaven. It might mean that you miss out on a job promotion or the varsity team because you aren't willing to put those things above God. They want you to keep working more and more hours. Finally, you're going to get that promotion. You say, you know what? The promotion isn't worth it because it keeps me from God or the same for the basketball team. You might face rejection from your family members and your peers because 
of this decision that you're making. That's a cross. It's in direct relationship to following Jesus. And it might even mean physical harm. You know, uh, two weeks ago was the church in Texas that got shot. Gaul shot up lots of people, passed away that day. They're in the God's house worshiping him. I, I always wonder what could happen here. Uh, like eight minutes ago, I was almost distracted by a noise uh, because it could happen here. Because you're following Jesus, if you're not here worshiping, you may not have to face this cross to have to bear so we can come anywhere at any time. And it's hard because if we're going to follow Jesus, who's the leader? Who's the person that we're going to be following? Him. Who gets to decide where you go? It may be where you want to go. It may be where you don't want to go. Are you going to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Now, just real quickly, three reasons why we, why we want to follow Jesus. Verses 24 to 26. It says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. So that's the first one. You lose when you win, and you win when you lose, which is completely backwards to the way we think. We think I won the basketball game, I won. I lost the football game, I lost. You can spend your whole life winning on earth. You can have the whole world saying, wow, Josh was a great guy, and uh, you know, Josh was always there to help me. And he, it didn't, You can have the whole world praising you. You don't, you don't stand up for God, the whole world's going to love you. But the world's going to say, you win. That's the best you can have in life is to have love and acceptance by everybody. You have a good obituary when you die. They put this nice video up there. And everybody gets up there for hours and hours and speaks highly of you. You've made it, right? That's what the world says. God has a different view. He says, if you lose your life for my sake, that's when you really win. You spend this whole life that you have denying yourself, carrying your cross, wherever that leads, and living for God, even if it takes your life, you still win because you have eternity. And we all know how long this life is compared to eternity. This life is nothing compared to eternity. So the first one is if you lose, you win. And when you, when you lose, the second one, verse 25, it says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his soul? There's this, this saying that says, whoever has the most toys when he dies wins. Anybody ever heard that? And that's a lot of times the way the world thinks. You, you acquire all this wealth and all these possessions and all these cars and all these great things, which by themselves are not a sin. So if you have great wealth and cars and whatever, that's fine. But the world who says, this is what it's all about. That's what I'm living for. Those things, as soon as you die, guess what? You go bye-bye, heaven or hell, and those things stay. Your, your kids and your grandkids and whoever you will them to is going to appreciate them. And they'll speak highly of you and all these great things but it does absolutely nothing for you. So we follow Jesus because when you lose, you win, and my possessions are worth nothing when I die. The third thing, verse 26 says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the Holy Ones. If you deny Jesus now, which is going to make you popular with the world, it allows you to have everything you want in this world that's going to keep you happy. If you deny Jesus now, the world's going to say, great, but guess what's coming? You, you, the opposite is going to come. You reject Jesus now, he's going to reject you later. When, when he comes down, uh, when, he, when, when you die and you get to heaven, he's going to say, hey, I don't know this person. He rejected me on earth. I'm rejecting him in heaven. He didn't put his faith in me. There's no other way that you're going to get there. There's no other option. Jesus is the only way. So you've got to know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus came and suffered 
to die on a cross to give you salvation, and if you put your faith in him, you can have that eternal life. That's really the point of this. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus suffered. It was real. It wasn't fake. It wasn't pretend. It wasn't uh, imaginary. It really happened. But he rose again to conquer death. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to suffer. Life is not going to be easy. The more you follow Christ, the harder it is going to get. And nobody wants that. But that's what our challenge is. You live for Christ more, you're going to suffer more. So I'm going to leave you with four choices of what do you do with this message? Okay, the, um, I mean, if there's something in you that needs to change, uh, first of all, you can sit there and you can say, you, you can pray to God and say, God, help me make this right. You know, say, if, if you're not saved, you can say, hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and you can trust him for your salvation right there. Because God can hear you even if you're not speaking anything. He knows what you're thinking. Or if you say, God, I need help because I haven't denied myself very well. I haven't lived for you very well. God, you know where I've been trying to put other things more important than you? Please help me to change. You can sit there and say, hey, God, please help me. So that's option number one. Option number two is after, during the blessed be the tie that binds, I'm going to come stand right here. And you can, you can come up here and say, hey, Josh, um, I, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. Could you help me do that? Or, Josh, I haven't been living for the Lord as much as I need to. Could you do that with me? And I can pray with you and say, hey, be with Noah, be with Leslie. Please help them to make a, do a better job of living for the Lord. Um, my words are no more special than your words. God's going to hear you just the same as he hears me. But if you want to come up here and have me pray with you, or if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody for however long it takes. Third option is you could just reject this all completely. Say, I don't need Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about as far as denying him. I don't really care. I'm just going to sit here because someone made me come here, and I'm going to walk out the door just like I came and get on with my life. I know Thanksgiving's coming, right? You could do that. Or you could think about it. You could say, you know what, Josh? I'm not saying anything, and there's no way I'm coming up here, but I'll think about it. And that's okay, too. Do I really need a Savior? Could I really say Jesus is the Messiah? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Could I really say that? Um, you know, the, let me just say one thing is please don't think too long. I mean, you might be able to, to think about it for 10 years. You might only get to think about it for two years. But at some point, life is going to end unexpectedly. And so by that point, your decision is made. Good or bad, you have made that decision. So like I said, I'm going to stand up here during Blessed Be the Tide That Binds. If you'd like to come up and talk to me, that's great. Um, I have a phone number at the Parsonage. If you'd like to call there, I have a cell phone. You can call me here if you say, I'll talk to you at some other point. I'm always willing to listen. And I'm always willing to pray if somebody wants to talk. So let's close with a word of prayer. And then you have a choice to make. You have four options. So I'd encourage you to make the first or the second one. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the salvation that you give uh, as a free gift to us, God, that you don't make us earn it, God, that you don't make us deserve it, God, because none of us are deserving of it. I thank you that you are the Christ, the Messiah, that came to give us eternal life. I thank you, Jesus, that you suffered on a cross. You, you gave us an example of what it was going to be like to live the way that you lived. People hated you, and they cursed you, and they rejected you, and they killed you. And we can't expect anything better for us, God, if you allowed your son to do that. And I just pray for each of us, God, here, that we would have our faith and our confidence in you for our salvation, and that you'd help each of us to deny ourselves 
the things in our life that you tell us to deny. To not try to walk with you in one hand and sin in the other, or with you in uh, some hobby, God, that we just make you the most important in our life. I just pray for your help to do that, and I pray for your, uh, for anybody here who's struggling with the right decision to make, that you would give them the wisdom to make the right decision as well. In Jesus' name.